Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today I'm bringing on Betsy Ford. Betsy was named one of Forbes 30 Under 30, BBC's 100 Most Inspiring Women, and she's currently the co-founder of Tiny Organics, a nutrient-rich organic baby food company designed to build adventurous eaters from a young age. Betsy has over a decade of experience as an inventor, product founder, and CEO. But above all, she's the mama of a little boy named Sebastian, who is the inspiration behind launching Tiny Organics. So welcome, Betsy. Thanks so much, Stephanie. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you. I wanted to start off by asking, what was your biggest mom win of the week? Oh, wow. That's a good one. So my son and I go to the farmer's market every Saturday. I've actually been able to plant a garden with him this last year. He's just turning three. And this past Saturday, we were there and it was the first time in quite a while that they had a band and it was three people playing saxophone and our song came on as I was walking by and it was just a special moment with me and him together where somewhere over the rainbow started playing. And so we started dancing and it was just like this beautiful, like you could never have planned it type of moment where it was like literally bringing a tear to my eyes. It was happening. But, and, and you, and you, you kind of think to yourself like, wow, like it's all, it's all worth it. You know, everything, you know, it's so, it's so hard, right? Like being a, a new parent. And I think there's just those like little moments that if you can lean into them and be truly present, right? Yeah, I think that was a definite win. And he kept talking about it after too, that we like heard our song. And, you know, it's what I always sing to him at that time. That's so, so cute. Really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and do you get, so actually give me a little bit about your family context. What are the roles you and your partner play? Just your family dynamics at the moment. Yes, yes. Yeah, my partner Patrick and I have been together for like 16 years now. Wow. And so we just, yeah, we celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary this year. Yeah, little Sebastian, he was a miracle. I mean, I couldn't have had a baby initially. I had to go through a really invasive surgery for fibroids, which are most prevalent in African American and Native American women, which is why my mom and my grandma and everyone on the reservation has struggled with this. And so I kind of had some context there, but kind of was not prepared for that surgery because it is a C-section, but you're not, you don't have a baby afterwards. Right. However, because that happened, I was then able to get pregnant and have Sebi. So he, he is our little, yeah, miracle. And, and as you know, Stephanie, I'm currently going through IVF uh, to yeah. try to have another. And so that's also a roller coaster. Just started everything a couple of weeks ago and, you know, on top of running our companies, right? And sort of I know, no. Well, I want to yeah. hear more about like doing both of those and things. So with your first, were, was that natural? Was that IUI? Was that IVF? That okay. was natural. That was natural. So Thankfully, because oh. I'd had the surgery, I was sort of primed to, okay. to, and I was younger at that point as well. So that, yeah, we were totally blessed. And, you know, because he 
He was also a planned C-section because of my previous surgery. So of course, in typical Virgo fashion, he came right on time. <laughs> September 6th, you know, to, to the minute, like when he was meant to arrive. I was trying to get it scheduled for September 4th because that's Beyonce's birthday, but then everything was booked out anyway. <laughs> Don't you love that? So I had three C-sections and I yeah. scheduled each of them, except for only one of the three came on their scheduled date. So, oh my goodness. I know. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. One of them I wanted. So my last one was February 3rd, 2020. And I actually wanted her on February 2nd because I wanted it to be 2220. Yes. Two, two, but then oh, it had to be a Monday because they don't do C sections on Sunday. Is yes. so, yeah, so whatever. Funny. But it's kind of yeah. it's interesting to like plan your birthday. But then you never know. Totally. Kids, babies do what they want to do. So where were you, I guess, at the time when you had your first kid, where were you working? What were you doing? Because I mean, Forbes 30 under 30, like all of these, you know, titles (laughs) and stuff. Where were you? How did you earn these? What's your background? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that was with my previous company I'd founded that I was honored with Forbes 30 under 30, but backing way, way up. So I actually grew up in the countryside building motorcycles. My dad, who's a motocross racer and and probably my greatest (laughs) inspiration in a lot of ways throughout life. He, so yeah, he and I were always building things. And when I went to uni, I figured out, oh, wow. And it was my first time I'd ever been to a big city. I went to Chicago and I figured out like, oh, I could study industrial design and engineering and actually continue to get to build things, right? So for or 30, I actually got from manufacturing and industry because that's my background. Although You're I like really the only female the in all of that? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So when I was became a toy inventor after university, which is just like so surreal that, that, that this happened, but Chicago was really a hub for it. I was the only, I was the youngest by far and, and one of two women inventors in the whole firm. And I was able to sell my concepts to George Lucas for Star Wars, Mattel for Polly Pocket, did work on WWE, The Game of Life. It was so much fun. And I thought, wow, it can't get better than this, right? Because you you got to run your little startup within this innovation firm and by creating everything by hand. So actually, this was before I was able to convince them to get a CNC machine. We did everything with lathe, mill mold room back form actually building stuff which which is kind of a lost art nowadays and I'm just so grateful I feel like I was the last generation to really enjoy that and then I had read about so I my my partner Patrick I had mentioned and I knew that he's his family's from Poland originally and so we knew we wanted to live in Europe for a bit and I had heard about a guy Mike Latin Smith who was building what was fast becoming one of the top kids digital brands in London there were still only a few people there at the time at our old old offices but I flew out and not knowing anyone I'd never been, you know, <laughs> the country before. I mean, it's sort of surreal and not knowing anyone walked in and a uh, very long story, but by the fifth time he was like, okay, you know, let her in. And we chatted for over two hours. He hired me on the spot to lead all of product. So that was from physical and the digital side, which was so incredible. And it really opened my world to like, wow, okay, th- this is where you know, it's, it's all sort of headed and we were able to build the company over 300 people, over hundred million registered users online. Mashi Monsters was like the Pokemon of the UK. And Michael actually was founding Calm, the meditation app during that same time. So it was really fun to get to see him go through that next journey for in, in his story as well. But it was during that time to, I was 
doing hackathons on the weekends to kind of scratch that building, like the builder itch, because I was only able to like lead, you know, the teams at, at that point. And I invented the first Fitbit for dogs. So it was for my dog, Whiskey. And this was my previous company I founded because he was overweight and I tried everything to get him to lose the weight. And finally b- built this, thought I have a Fitbit for myself. Why don't I have one for him? And over the course of a few months, he did begin to lose weight. And then he got to his goal weight because of the device, which can extend his life up to two years. So I knew, okay, if I can extend the life of my dog, like I want to bring this to the masses because at that time, over half of dogs were overweight or obese in UK and US. And so I did found the company in London. So the headquarters were there. We launched at Harrods initially, which was so much fun with some celebrities and then Colette for Paris Fashion Week when that was still around. And then over to Bloomingdale's in Manhattan and all of my, we built everything in house. We didn't buy anything, you know, off, off. It, it was actually the full stack of hardware. We so built do you ourselves. have any patents yourself or anything? Did you? Wow. So, so yes. And, and on the bow tie as well, we have a design patent for, because it was the number one accessory for any dog, right? It's like a cute little bow tie. And so we're like, okay, we want to own that from, from the tech perspective. So the bow tie would tell your, tell you in real time, is your dog sleeping, running, playing, dreaming even and what other dogs have they met up with that day and who's top dog who's got the most exercise and everything and what was you know, this company was... called what was the so name my yes my previous company is wonder minto and our hero product is wonder wolf yeah so we it, it was such a magical journey for about eight years i built wonder wolf and we had the best retail traction of any pet wearable in the u.s so we launched every best buy on incap every pet co every urban outfitters and it was just so it was such a wild ride because I never even had a sales director so I was like the one doing all this there was a lot of learnings I'll never be a sole founder again (laughs) I was like it's just taking on too much especially when you're running this this many different departments within the company so I was going to Hong Kong every other month for our product team there on the hardware side as well. And yeah, just a ton of learnings for this next company that I founded. And to your original point, Stephanie, like, (laughs) you know, it was actually whilst getting pregnant with Sebastian and trying to exit Wonderwolf that, that Sophia and I came together to build Tiny. And so he was eight, I was eight months pregnant when we were in Prospect Park handing out tiny cups to complete strangers. And obviously this was pre-pandemic, but hundreds of families were feeding tiny to their babies and, and we weren't even like launched yet or a real brand. And Sebi was then born like very soon thereafter. And he's been raised on tiny ever since he was five months old. He every single day has been eating, eating tiny and prefers it. It's kind of like his nostalgia. Mine is, was McDonald's when I was growing up. That's my first words, McDonald's Coke fry, which is like really idiot. Um, but like, you know, the all American we Okay. Hold on. Yeah. I, I have quite a few questions. Okay. Number one, yeah. where did you grow up exactly? Yeah. So in the middle of Illinois in a very okay. rural country town. Yeah. And we you said you're like Native American too. Yes. So my family's Turtle Mountain uh, Chippewa from North Dakota reservation. Yeah. So we, I actually am getting up there uh, in the next couple of months and got to see everyone this past week too for a family reunion. But yes. And actually on our reservation, there's not there, there, you know, when my mom was growing up there, there was no access to WIC even, which is really the North Star for Tiny is how can we become an accessible household name, but to all communities across the nation. And so over half of babies in America are fed on the food stamp for women, infant, and children called WIC. And it is our, yeah, North Star to be the first organic whole food offering on there. Wow. So that's definitely part of, of the story. And yeah, actually- I had no week, idea yeah. any of that. I did not know you were part of Native American or did yeah. you grow up on the reservation or you my were just- mom, My mom did, yes. Okay. And I grew up going every year. Yes, so my my family is still there. And 
I have many, like I was just with my auntie who she's the director of the hospital where my mom was born on the res. And then my other auntie who just passed this last, this last year, she founded our university there as well. So incredible, powerful women, you know, who have like kind of paved the way and been a total inspiration in terms of our tribe and yeah, including my mom. So definitely feel like, yeah. I, you know, that's, that's just a strong, a, a strong core part of who I am and, and why and I want to bring accessibility to go to like university after and then do all yes. this. That's wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know it's pretty wild because I came from a place where most folks are still in that little country town. Like I had never been to a big city until I went to Chicago to go to university, you know? So it, it definitely felt like, yeah, just a wild ride really to, to think like what you could accomplish if you can just sort of believe in yourself, keep pushing yourself forward, right? Because it didn't, it didn't, nothing was kind of, you know, nothing comes easy in life. But I think if you, if you have that hard work and that passion, that dedication, that you can just get leaps and bounds like so far, right? So then, and so I'm really grateful for that. I was going to say, so then leading into your dog company. So you were inspired because of your own dog to create this. Did you create the digital site also, or like, where did you get, how did you get the expertise? You were a hardware person, an engineer. So you yes. created this Fitbit, but you know, building a team or, or doing that, how did you find the people to bring that idea to real life conception or who right. are the people that you hired first? Well, I think that's the most important job of any CEO is bringing on the team and really trying, you know, to elevate them, empower them and be that visionary that they want to work with. Right. Because for me, it was definitely bringing on my CTO initially. The only reason that I was able to, to launch Wonder Wolf. And then we brought on our director of hardware. Yes, we did everything in house. And I just always hired people that were smarter than me that knew more. I'm still doing that to this day. Right. Something else I did in the very beginning was bring on this really big board of advisors. And that was what I translated to tiny as well, which has served us so well, these folks that have already been in the industry for years, because obviously I don't have a food background, right? So yeah, you know, coming coming at it from that understanding, and them really co building it with us has made a, a big, big difference. And so yeah, I think I think it's all about trying to rally around the vision when you get the right folks around the table, right? To, to build it, which is why, yeah, it's just so many learnings building Wonder Wolf. And one of them was that I didn't, you know, I wanted to be a co-founder for this next one. Yeah. Which is my question is, so you said you're like, I never want to be a solo founder anymore. So you wanted to be a co-founder, I guess a couple questions. One, how did you know it was time to move away from the dog company to build this next company? And two, how did you find your co-founder? Like, what were you like, how did you know Sophia? And then why would, why did you pick her? And also why do you want a co-founder? Yes. Yes. Great question, Stephanie. Definitely. So I knew it was time because we had been approached over two years prior for acquisition because our biggest competitor whistle was acquired by Mars and SF. So you can probably guess who was courting us at that point. And I had never even dreamt of selling. I was having so much fun building Wonder Wolf. And, and then it was like, once I was proposed with this, you know, opportunity, it was like, okay, maybe I'm going to start thinking that way. And then ultimately, in the end, it wound up that we didn't even go with that acquisition, but it was an exit. And so it, it wasn't something that it, it made it where I was able to step away, remain on the board. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to stay on and, and build the next, you know, pet tech lab for the next five years, which was kind of part of that deal as well, because I knew I wanted to, I, I'm truly an inventor at heart. And I knew I wanted to build, you know, a childhood nutrition or not nutrition company, but just a childhood company at that point. And so when Sophia and I had met originally, I was speaking at Maker Fair in New York and we had a mutual friend there. And this was like maybe two years prior to us actually 
coming together again at a rooftop party, 4th of July. It's almost, yeah, wow. <laughs> exactly. I guess four years ago in 2017, where it, it was just like, it, it was just like when you meet someone and you're like, this is, I mean, it's, it happens very few times in your life. Right. But like, it's just like sparks. It's like, oh my gosh, this idea that she had told me for, she always wanted to found a children company. A, a and is she company. a mom? I forgot. Is she no, a mom? Okay. Yeah. So not yet, <laughs> but she was born in the finished baby box and she has had this lifelong dream to kind of, you know, br- bring that to the U S and, and then when we came around what we were going to do together, it was really, how do we make the biggest impact on childhood development? And so that's how we eventually got to nutrition. But when I had so many learnings from building the first time around that I knew I just want to self-fund the company again, like for the first couple of years, I did go on to raise millions for Wonder Wolf as well. But I knew that this time I wanted to align myself with really as an EIR with, with a, with a, you know, a VC firm that felt super aligned with my values and the mission. And ultimately after, you know, chatting with quite a few around New York, made the decision to go with human ventures. And so we absolutely love Heather. She's still on our board to this day. And we really got to co-build it with them from the beginning. And that's when, you know, all these exciting insights happened around bringing advisors around the table and realizing that the biggest impact we could have on a child's life was what they're putting in their body. And that we could help shape their gut health so that they could grow up to be the healthiest versions of themselves. Because what was really stunning to us is that when we started digging into the research, we realized baby food is a completely invented category in the 1920s. So, so prior to that, babies were just eating real whole food, right? It was like, you know, how, how we were born to eat. And yet, you know, with these canned parades, a lot of times those were having, even when I was eating them in the eighties, added sugar and salt put in for the parents' palate as well. And so when a baby's coming off of breast milk, which is already sweet or even formula for that matter, it's, it's, they are then already prone to have a sugary forward palate. So if you're not introducing the savory flavors of vegetables in particular from the very beginning, then it can make it just so much harder to develop those taste preferences as the child grows. And so we know of, and in all of our research we've done, there's a period in a, in a, in a person's life at the age of four to seven months old. So none of us remember it, right? But it's called the flavor window. And that is when a person is more keen to try new flavors than they ever will be their entire life. And so if you can capture a child at that point and be able to introduce them to vegetables, they could actually get a sense for savory over sugary or even that's interesting. I feel like I was going to say, I think I missed that window for all three kids. Cause unfortunately, oh, no. well, and then I think I'll see so yeah. you said four to seven months in America. A lot of times they say, don't start till six months. Don't start, right. you know, feeding. And so, and then you start off with like the cereals or like the liquidy kind of stuff, or I would yes. curate my own kind of fruits and vegetables, but yeah, I, that only leaves like a short window. Cause if you start at like six months and then you do the whole, like, we're going to introduce one food at a time, like every week, right. cause you know, especially as a first time mom, you, you are afraid of all the allergies and Absolutely. things and the choking hazard yeah. of it being like a baby led weaning type so of feeding. I was actually yeah. curious, tiny organics. I know. Cause I, we love the, you know, your food, <laughs> it is not pureed or anything. And so there are other companies that do purees. Do you puree the tiny organics or do you just give them whole and do baby led weaning from the very beginning? 
Exactly. So okay. you can you can do it both ways. We never mom shame if a mom does want to start with praise at first, of course, but it, eventually they will need to start solids. The way that we built tiny is that my son started at five months old where he was able to grab it. He didn't have teeth at that point, but because it's perfectly steamed, it will just disintegrate in the child's mouth, even though they're able to pick it up and see, oh, that's a broccoli, that's a carrot, right? And so I think that's part of this is that you're creating kind of these gorgeous variety of flavors yeah. as well with exposing children to other cultures through food from around the world. So we have Valencian paella, coconut curry, ratatouille. We're creating a Native American one, the three sisters now um, with my cousin, who's a chef. And, you know, so we're trying to expose children in a way where they will crave these savory flavors as they grow. So obviously my son being a toddler now can still enjoy tiny as a healthy cider, a snack, or the oatmeals as a full breakfast as well. And we do have Patagonia extensions coming out too. But I think for us, it's definitely about the mom or dad who wants to try baby led weaning, we're meeting them there and we're we're giving them that opportunity to to feed this whole real food. So you can actually see what each vegetable is. And 80% of our cups are all vegetable, as well as 80 of our 100 first flavors are all savory. So for us, when we looked at the market, only 10% of children are getting enough vegetables. A majority of that is through French fries. And this is for all children under the age of five. So we thought, right, this is a massive vegetable deficiency intake, right? But that's, that's like across all of America. And how can we really just help make vegetables fun and accessible in a friendly way? And so that's been you know, definitely our life's work and mission. But I think when exactly your point, Stephanie, when you're introducing those first foods, it is really nerve wracking, like, unless it's just about them sort of like putting it on their mouth and trying to get that taste for it, which is really at the four to seven month mark, what, what you'd mostly be doing, because they can eat it with their hands on like a prey, right, then there is that fun bit of playfulness that can happen to you. Obviously, it's a big mess as well. But that fun bit of playfulness that you just don't get when you're spoon feeding a child, right, because it's allowing them to build this independence that much like the Montessori movement as well, where they can become independent eaters and, and thinkers for life. So I want to go back to when you met Sophia, were you pregnant yeah. at the time? Were you, did you, were you in the process or anything? So, cause I guess my question is most people, you know, they become a mom, they come up with these ideas, but like, it's hard to execute. And I know there are a lot of moms out there who are like, I wish I could solve this problem. I wish I can. But you have a baby and you're like, I don't yep. know how to even do this. How do I raise capital or how do I find the time? So how was the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey for this company once you became a mom? Right. So I think that was a big part of me wanting to partner with Sophia as co-CEOs because I knew I was going to have to step away even if it was just for a few weeks. And, and we were able to bring our COO, Carolyn, on the night before I delivered Sebi as well, who came to us from beyond me, has been with us for three years now and is an absolute rock star. Only reason we're here today as well as with Carolyn. And so I think for me, it was really you know figuring out because something I learned along the way when building these companies and even like seeing Michael build, build calm and, and uh, mushy monsters prior is like, you can, it's like that proverb, right? Like if you want to go far, go together, right? So you can only do so much. And, and I understand the beginning of a career, especially when you're first starting out, you do kind of want to say, this is mine. Right. And like, here's what I'm building and I'm, and I'm doing this, but you can 
I, I am like proof that you can go so much farther if you can just if you can just spread the love, if you can just bring people around you and empower them to own it and feel that it's their baby too. And so I think by doing that, that's the only reason I was able to to be a full-time mom and full-time co-CEO is because I had these phenomenal women that were supporting me like in that. And you know, and I and I hope to do for them as well, right? That because because I actually don't believe that women can have it all. I don't think that you can be like the perfect, you know, mom and 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 CEO or fundraise or whatever it is. Like, I think you you have to bring those people around you that can kind of do it with you, right? Like there's a reason that there's that, you know, again, cliche, but, but, you know, it takes a village. Like there's a reason that, 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 you know, came to be and why we just don't have it now. And we're all living in these silos. It's like, we at least have the opportunity as women to say like, okay, we're actually going to create you know, we're going to be the change we want to see where we can create those environments right around us of these women elevating other women or, or of course, you know, Raul, we just brought on our director of engineering this morning, and our first man, we're so excited. Yeah. <laughs> so, and really thrilled there. And so of course, like, you know, it can, it can be, you know, men and women elevating each other. Absolutely. But I think like, there's this really special magic that happens when women can come together and like support each other in, in, in the sense of motherhood as well. And what that means for, you know, your company. So my advice would definitely be to like anything that you're kind of lacking. So, so Sophia leads marketing and I lead product. I was going to ask, what are your roles in the founders? Because you can't be the same or else it won't work. Exactly. So, okay. Yes. And so previously, even though he wasn't a co-founder, it was my CTO, right? Of my past company, the reason I was able to get it off the ground. And so I think more than anything is like when you have this idea and this vision is figuring out how to articulate that, right? To to pe- the people around you and like creating that sort of like buzz, right? To say like, oh, well, I could partner with you on that and like, let's do it together and just being really like happy with it and like figuring it out and sort of, that's my favorite part is like the scrappiness, the zero to one of it. And so I think like when, and because what that, creates momentum of in itself, right? When you're able to build from the earliest days with, with those people around you. And, and it just means that you actually can execute on something because I could never do this, you know, alone or, or even dream of, of it because I wasn't in food prior, right? right? I knew the technology piece and I was able to build that just given, you know, the, the great experience with Wonder Wolf and building that database, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't know the first thing about food other than, yeah. How did you, I was going to say, did you like hire nutritionists? Like how did you build that side when you came up with an idea? You're like, okay, we want to do something in the kids space. You agreed on food, but you didn't have a Sebi yet. And so you didn't quite (laughs) even know, like, what do kids like to eat? Did you, was like one of your first hires, like someone, how did you come up with this menu and palette? And did you taste test also? Yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and so our first person we brought on was our neonatal nutritionist, Priscilla Barr, who's been at NYU for over a decade. She's now a, a mom as well. And, but she's helped us through kind of all those, re- the, the way our executive chef Maria created all the recipes that they are nutritionally dense. And then from the very beginning, even prior to launch, we partnered with Tufts School of Nutrition and Policy. So the Dean Dariush Masafarian has only ever come on to science-based and, and, you know, not consumer-facing companies prior, but he actually came on to our scientific advisory board. And so just so, so honored to, to have his involvement. And the reason for that and, and the reason he wanted to get involved is because we showed him our bill of materials for the foods themselves. And it was like, okay, that's great. Now we're in the nutritional panels. It's like, well, 
this is the nutritional panel. There is nothing added. There's no added sugar. There's no added salt. Even the oat milk we make from scratch, right? So it's like, it's literally as clean as it gets. And I think he was just so blown away and so excited about that reality of like feeding children real whole foods that aren't like totally processed or even parade, right? That, that we were able to get him on board. So again, to that point of like, can you get these advisors around you that actually know so much more, right? Around, around the table, but then equally, what we did is, is had a hundred founding families in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So we sent one email out to the Park Slope parent group. We got hundreds of inbounds within a matter of hours. So we had to and what did that, that email 100. say? I'm curious. Yes. So at that point we had partnered with human ventures already. So it did say, yeah, we always go back to that email actually, because it's like, oh my gosh, what was like the magic here? But it, it was, it was this idea that they're a founding family and that they're going to be building the product roadmap with us, which they did, right? So it was also the VC back thing, you know, and I'm sure that that was part of it too, being in Brooklyn. But I, but I really believe that it's because there are so many families out there and moms in particular that are, are saying like, okay, I do want to like make an impact. I do want to do something, you know, for childhood development even, right? And so a lot of these moms, they're still with us to this day that we still do the recipe testing with them. And we've like been to their homes because this was pre-pandemic. we uh, there's this great story when I was eight months pregnant in 90 degree heat where we were wheeling out these blue unmarked coolers into Par- Prospect Park and Sophia and I were handing them out. So yeah, the little changers, they were feeding their babies right there. And that's when we knew we have a white space here that hasn't been you know, tapped into because it's only parades available currently. And so what, what we did is we went into their homes. We saw they were using the product of all 100 founding families. We then made adjustments. So each of the recipes, we tested at least five different versions of those 12 hero SKUs that we launched with. This was for a full year prior to us going to market. And then we got insights in the packaging where moms were saying, we don't want to put more plastic into the world, right? So you're vegan, which is great for animal you know, rights and, and of course, like, and, and even the environment as well, but we want to be better for the planet, right? And not put more plastic out there. So we actually re-engineered our whole, like what we were planning to launch for our supply chain to make it totally plastic free so that we could say, and, and, and we are, we are going with the foil tops as well. So we could say like, okay, we're going to be the first food D2C company to do that, which is why we were able to partner with Plastic Pollution Coalition. But that was a direct feedback from our founding families on it. And I think even that's such an eight. important like point in general is that you have these founding families and you tested your product. I think so many times that we come with these ideas and we're like, yes, it's going to work. And then you put it to market and all of a sudden it's maybe a flop and you didn't test and iterate. So I love that you said you did it first with a hundred and then you brought it to market almost a year later with yes. all the feedback yes. from like real moms. <laughs> exactly. But that's what's so cool. Stephanie is like that created, we always say there's almost no more viral word of mouth than that of a mom who's convinced. And that created this ripple effect, at least in the Northeast with those moms where they started talking and said, you have to try this. And so quick, quite quickly, a hundred became a thousand, you know, became 10,000 became, and, and so in, in, all the reason we were able to recently close our series A round of funding so quickly, just over 18 months after we had launched, is because the numbers speak for themselves. We actually have majority of our growth coming from organic word of mouth, right? So this isn't 
So you're not paying the big bucks for the marketing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, we were so stoked for so long. I mean, you're looking at the entire product team on this call. Um, my co-CEO, Sophia, is the whole marketing team. You know, we're, we, we, we were a group of 10 women that were building this, you know, over this time. And some of them were part-time. And, and so for us, you know, that's always been really important too, is that over half our investors and over half our board are women as well as diverse. Because again, we have to be that change that we want to see and bring about. But definitely it feels like, yeah, th- th- this it created a life of its own by having that organic growth, right? That I think is is just magic because people really connect with the product and they really believe in it and it works. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about the early stages of you becoming a mom. So you're pregnant, you have this, you're super motivated about the company, and then you have a baby. And sometimes, you know, things change within us. And I know Tiny is your other baby. So it's like, how did you kind of structure your time between the two? And did you hire help at home? What did that look like? And then emotionally, what what went on in your head? And how did you structure that with your partner? So I was in New York City at the time with no family around. And we actually were so scrappy. And I had done this with Wonder Wolf as well, where I was like so scrappy. All my employees were living better, right? Than, than me. So it was something where we felt like we couldn't even really get help. So I was having to like stay home. Sometimes my mother-in-law would fly out. And I just remember because I really, really struggled with breastfeeding. I actually had to go to the emergency room two days after bringing him home. And I did stick with it. I don't think I enjoyed a single minute of it, honestly, but I, I stuck with it. But, and, and I think that learning of like the cluster feeding, right. Of just like being, just feeling like totally helpless and not, and I didn't have any other mom friends either. So it was just like, okay, we need to create this community ASAP, right. And a tiny <laughs> to, to try to, you know, bring moms together because it is so lonely. And I think the, the only way I was able to do it is because of, again, my co-CEO, Sophia being, um, and <laughs> my little sense of Ashton here. Hi. Right now. <laughs> I, I want an interview, baby boy. Where's Babchat? <laughs> my mother-in-law's watching. <laughs> oh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> Mommy's on 70. a call is the name yeah. of the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Mommy's on a call. <laughs> oh, this is my friend Stephanie. <laughs> okay, precious. Can you go and see what daddy's doing right now? Why don't we go check? Okay. Hopefully he's not in a meeting too. <laughs> Sorry, oh gosh, right no back. worries. So, okay. So I was curious about, you know, say even the roles your hu- or your partner, husband, yes. he's your husband, I assume. Yes. And you played in, you know, raising Sebi while you were building the company. Like, was your husband full-time working? Like, what did yes. that look like? Okay. So he took off, I think it was two weeks initially. And then we were trying to space it out where it was kind of like a few days here, a few days there, but I was having to just work, work from home. Actually, when Sebi was six weeks old, or was it four weeks now? I can't recall, but I went to another Prospect Park drop-off where my CEO Carolyn was there with Sophia this time. And we have this beautiful picture of him just being like so incredibly tiny, but I, I wanted to get back on it right away. I remember having this like really internal struggle, even when Sophia came to the hospital to meet Sebi on that very like first day, I was like, even after C-sections got up in bed, like, okay, how did that meeting go? Right. And I still know which meeting it was like that I was asking about it, but it was just like, that's so crazy that I wasn't able. And so I think in a lot of ways it was like, I wanted so badly to be working again that I felt I was in this, like, I honestly depression, like I went through when, you know, with the cluster feeding and feeling like I can't, I just can't do it all. Like I can't, you know, be, be there for the company we hadn't officially launched yet. So I think that helped, but it was still 
such a struggle. And like, looking back, it was like, oh my gosh, I should have figured out. And now I have, right? Because we have our series A. So we figured out how we can do like all the benefits that we would want to see for working moms for the future. And to be that change, like we're figuring all of that out so that we can, and we have like a handbook now with the best like family care benefits and family planning benefits that I've ever seen of any company. So I'm really thrilled about that. But you know, at the time when you're in the very beginning of it, we hadn't even closed our seed round. It was just really, really hard. Yeah. And actually that was a question you mentioned, you never wanted to self-fund again. So this one, you were an EIR, you said you were an EIR at Ventures. How did you, so did you even have a product yet or did you just have a concept or idea when you were pitching? When we went in, so Human Ventures, it was a little bit different because they wanted to partner with second time founders at that point that didn't have a fully fleshed out idea. So when I first met with them, it was like, oh, I actually had a couple ideas of what I thought like would, would work in the childhood development space that then wound up pivoting to nutrition quite quickly after we joined. But yeah, so I think, I think it was a little bit different. Yeah. With, with that. And, you know, I did go on to raise money for Wonder Whoop as well. And not to say I would never self-find, you know, I have with Tiny as well, but just wouldn't fully do that again. Like, cause I think there's so much joy that you can get from partnering with the right investors, right. That really believe in the vision, the mission, it can like truly come together and, and, and make it just so much greater and bigger, right. Than anything. And so we're, we've just been totally blessed with an incredible board for the past two years that they've actually become my closest friends, you know, and everything. It's a pretty big board too, especially for our stage, but just phenomenal people that like want to see us win and want to get tiny to, to all families right across America. So I think like, it's a little, like maybe a little bit different with the VIR like role that, that we took initially. There. So I know you mentioned a lot of things you learned from Wonder Wolf, but now that you've closed your series A and you're on your next company, yes. what do you think is like the top or takeaway or lesson learned that you can give to other maybe entrepreneurs out there who are in the trenches right now? Think, yeah. You know, what would be your number one thing after all of this? Yes. It's definitely that if you, if you can believe in something enough, you can convince like those folks around you and figure out what it is that like excites you and keeps you up at night. Right. Cause it might be something that you weren't even expecting. Right. That you're just like, can't stop thinking about. And then, and then try to wonder, okay, in the lens of truly trying to like help humanity, what would this look like? Right. And like, how could this become something kind of so much bigger than, than me? And then if you can rally yourself around that vision, I think you can get others on board with you. And that to me, it just creates this energy in, in the world that can like almost be a self self-fulfilling prophecy, right? In a lot of ways. It's like, if you, if you believe it, if you tell yourself something, you become it. Like, I really, really believe that. And I, and I know it's been true in my life. And so I think, I think just don't stop believing, you know, like truly just like, just it's really the like Q journey song right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, I actually was wondering, since you worked with the founder of calm, do you have any like self-care practices, meditation practices that you do daily for yourself to help you kind of be bigger than yourself for, you know, and also to help you balance motherhood and entrepreneurship? So I have taught Sebastian breathing techniques. So we do those together before bed every night. And then when he, when we're both feeling wound up or he's really wound up, then we'll do them as well. And so just trying to, you know, tell him like meditation is like a normal part of life. And we do have our own kind of prayer that we say before dinner every night. That might be one of the only moments we're all together. Right. And just like that time of really gratitude and appreciation. I think when you're, when you're sharing in that it's, it's, 
it's hard not to be happy at that point, right? Like, well, even with a toddler in general, because they're just so, you know, <laughs> they're enthralled with everything they're doing. They're just so in the present that it's like brings you into it in a way that unlike almost anything else does, right? And, and it's, I think, yeah, I think just like that, that grateful heart, right? Like throughout has been a common thread, like with my family. And uh, definitely I always do my calm and <laughs> I try to every day, and, you know, sometimes it's every week or every other day, but that, that has helped tremendously just to build it in as a 10 minute, you know, practice that can really refocus you. What time do you wake up in the morning? Well, so I only, I'm running at two hours of sleep right now, which is why it might sound a little bit delusional <laughs> because Sebi just started coming into our bed at night and I can't figure out how to, you know, cause we don't want to do the cry it out or anything, but, and then he'll just like, I don't think he's meaning to, but they'll just like kick me all night long. And so I'm like, okay, can't, like, can't sleep. It's not scalable. If you have any tips, Stephanie, let me know. But I'm like, not, did you I'm just switch him in. into like a regular bed or no, like, do you, is there anything that has spurred this? We were away for a week from him traveling. And I think when he was with my parents, I think he just got used to that like comfort of, oh, I don't have to sleep in my toddler bed anymore, even though I've been in there for months, right? Like I can come in and and like have a cuddle and like that comfort. Yeah. So it just feels like he just never wants to, when, when, when he is back in his toddler bed now, he will fall asleep there. But then immediately, as soon as he's like, you know, cause he's a light sleeper, as soon as he's woken up, then he'll come in. But yeah, so I, I definitely feel <laughs> I was like. I say, unfortunately, it's a little bit of tough love where then when they come in, you get out of bed and it's hard for you as a parent. Cause you're like, I just yes. want to stay and sleep. And it's so easy to just pick them up and throw them in bed. Kind of yes. Compar- weird comparison, but I know a lot of people who have their dogs sleep in their bed and then they get a new dog and they're like, never again. Cause it disrupts yes. your sleep. So unfortunately the best thing is just pick them up, walk them back to their room, put them back in bed and you just got to keep repeating it. It's kind of one of those things that unfortunately after the hundredth time, finally, maybe they'll lay down, but like, you don't want them to cry and get distressed. Like you're abandoning (laughs) them, but it's like, they're like, mommy loves you, but you know, this is your bed. You need to sleep here. Like this is mommy and daddy's space and like walk them back, lay with them. Maybe, you know, whatever right. pet rub, their head rub, like rub their back yeah. yeah rub their back and then leave and if they come right back again again like this is mommy and daddy's again, space yeah. this is yours like yes. do you need like a cuddly do you need this like what would you I'm like to sleep with tonight, give them some oh choices gosh, good advice yeah. it's so tiring though and mm-hmm. I know how to like so many times I would have to walk back walk back walk back yes. but it's like you give them an inch and they'll take a mile so you let them right. sleep in your bed one night and then a second night and then all of a sudden two years later now Again, I do what's best for you. That's what I say for all parents. Like if you want your kids to sleep in your bed, that's totally fine. I know people who have three kids sleeping in their king bed with them. Like, and again, like no judgment. That's what they prefer. But if you personally don't want that, and if it's, it's harming you, then my suggestion would be that gentle and calm, not cried out, not be mean, like just every time it's like one of those things you just kindly guide them, (laughs) you know, either carry them or guide them. Yeah. And then just be clear. It's like, (laughs) it's like with anything, be clear with your boundaries. So, you know, if you want him in your bed, that's totally fine. And that's a boundary you're willing to like keep, but if you don't, then be strong on your boundaries, firm, but kind. Yes. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. Well, Well, to wrap things up, I want to ask you, what is a superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better in either business or life? Absolutely. Patience. Absolutely. So I was never, 
I would say I've always been a woman of action. Like, so, you know, do and then figure it out, you know, later or, or ask for forgiveness later type of thing. And uh, so, and that has served me well in the entrepreneurial journey, but absolutely patience because as we know, as parents, right, everything, it, it just feels like, okay, learning it again and again and again, but also, also just finding those like quiet moments of like, wait a minute, when you're really still in this like patience, it is so beautiful and it unlocks this other, this other world in a way that like you weren't kind of anticipating, at least that's how it kind of felt. Yeah. For me. And so I, I think, I think it's really served me well as I've built the team as well. And just like having more grace with everyone and figuring out, you know, how we can really do it together in a, you know, in a timely manner, but not one that's like, okay, let's just run. <laughs> like, you know, we'll just figure it out and we go, let's run, run for this. But yeah, so definitely patience. Do you think that's helped you with tiny also just build a different type of company? Absolutely. I, I honestly, I think if I weren't a mom, I wouldn't have that same like conviction of seeing my son absolutely love vegetables the way that Sebi does because of it. Like I just, I believe so much because I've seen it like work and I know. So I also think like, there's just that really like precious thing between a a mother and her child, right. That you can't, it's just, you can't even really describe it. Right. But it's like this unspoken thing. And the fact that with our hundred founding families, like, you know, we could speak like that. And on that level, when I was the only mom on the team for majority of, of, of the past, you know, so far, and and now we're hiring more and more moms. But I think, yeah, that just made, I I don't know how I would have done it otherwise. I think like, it, it definitely gave me, yeah, a lot more grace, a lot more empathy, and just ability to, I, I'm, I'm a lot more like, kind of, let's, let's go, let's get to it. Like, you know, just that sort of like mindset. And, and this, this gave me like, a, really a whole new world that I was that, that it kind of like opened up to me that that definitely made me a better leader. And yeah, I think I think a better person as well. Oh. Well, I love your energy. Congrats on your series A. I can't wait to see what Tiny Organics does. Where can we find you online? Tinyorganics.com. And we've created a code today for oh. Tiny Loves MOAC for 40% off as well. Oh, thank you. I'll put that in the show notes. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Betsy, for everything. I loved hearing your story and your energy and everything. So thank Thank you and good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.